This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. My name is Jonathan Rice. I'm totally under oath. And uh, you are now listening to the Two-Headed Nerd comic cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 82 of THN, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, September 19th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not pumping coffee through an IV to counteract all the Oktoberfest beer while reading comics late Friday night to prep for this damn show, that's how much I love you guys. I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog and appraising comics for WorkPoint.com. He doesn't love you enough not to pump all that Oktoberfest beer into his body. Oh, I, I hate myself so much I, that I have to. And I'm Joe Patrick, at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not celebrating the creation of the brand new Two-Headed Nerd LLC... We're a business now, folks. And accepting my 30-70 profit split... You signed it, buddy. What? You gotta read this stuff. I'm also the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This week, you'll hear in-depth reviews of Lobster Johnson, Kaput Mortum, and Spider-Man. Number five, after that, we'll review ten more comics so fast it'll alienate 47% of our audience during the ludicrous speed round. <laughs> Topical. And then we'll consult the bones and discuss the future of next week's comics during our visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. And finally, we'll review celebrity chef Anthony Bourdain's Get Giro as a part of our monthly Take a Look It's in a book segment, but before we get to all that unapologetic dismissal and unpolished commenting, let's take a moment to admit that I was way behind this week, and this script came off the top of my f***ing head, y'all. And now, we'll talk about this week's big news. Marvel threw fans a curveball after breaking the news about their new Cable and X-Force series by announcing that the fan-favorite Uncanny X-Force will also be getting the Marvel Now relaunch treatment in January. The new creative team will be Ultimates writer Sam Humphreys and Marvel veteran artist Ron Garney. Humphreys calls his take on the book, quote, James Bond as directed by David Lynch. Does that mean there's like midgets and one-armed men? (laughs) (laughs) The story of the new series will pick up six months after the conclusion of Rick Remender's run and will feature Psylocke assembling an entirely new X-Force squad, including Storm, Spiral, and Puck. So there's midgets and six-armed women. (laughs) (laughs) Humphreys calls the Canadian Indiana Jones. I've been calling him that for years, okay? And it's true. I love Puck. Humphreys says that more characters will be joining the squad rapidly and that the group will have a new reason for being and a new focus, so don't get too comfortable. Finally, everyone's favorite time-traveling crazy cop bishop will serve as the team's main adversary. That guy sure gets a bad rap. And he's one of the only black X-Men I can think of off the well, top of my head. Okay, listen, he doesn't get a bad rap. He tried to kill a baby. I get it, but he had the right reasons. Did I mean, he? Yeah, he thought he was saving the world, Eesh. you know? Okay. It's not like he was just evil. So what do you think about this? I know you love Puck. I love Puck. I was never more pissed than when Jason Aaron showed us that Wolverine goes to hell storyline and for some reason Puck was there. Puck is in hell. Why was Puck in hell? What did he do that was so bad? He's he didn't, a good guy. He didn't love the baby Jesus. I love Alpha Flight. Love Puck. I love Spiral. Huge fan of that character. For for the majority of our audience who has no clue, Spiral is a character from the Mojo, from Mojo World. The Mojoverse. Who has six arms and has a habit of kidnapping people and altering their bodies in horrific ways. Yes, and she teleports, too, by dancing her swords around. Spiral's <laughs> the one that turns Psylocke into an Asian ninja. That is true. 
some friction there. Helped do it anyway. Well, yeah. The hand was involved too. Right. You know. So I don't know. I, I it's weird that Storm's on the team. I was kind of hoping that this team would be chasing Cable's team because remember how they said that Cable's team looked like it yeah was be they're a bad on the guy? run. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of yeah. hoping that this X Force would be like, all right, let's go get Crazy Cable. That's not bad. Yeah. I I'm kind not. of done with the whole Hit Squad thing. And I hope they're not time traveling and just chasing Bishop around all over the place because they yeah. did that in the pages of Cable for too long. Yeah. Because it doesn't make sense for me to have Storm join the team if they're still going to be assassins. Yeah. Because she's not going to fly because around murdering. It's in continuity that Storm is super pissed about X-Force. Puck is also not an assassin. What do you What do you know? Puck, Puck was in hell, man. He's that, obviously he's a terrible a, person. Oh, come on. You're just racist against short people. In Hollywood news, writer-director James Gunn has been officially named as the director of Marvel's upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy film. Gunn wrote the screenplay for Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake, which was awesome. I love it. And both wrote and directed the 2006 horror comedy Slither, which was tons of fun. And the 2010 superhero satire, Super, starring uh, Dwight from The Office. Rain Wilson. Yeah. Rain Wilson. And uh, Juno. Have not seen it. Kitty Pride. Gunn will also take a shot at rewriting the Guardians of the Galaxy script. In a message on his Facebook page, he said, quote, As a lifelong lover of Marvel Comics, space epics, and raccoons, this is the movie I've been waiting to make since <laughs> I was nine years old. Gunn has the seal of approval from none other than Avengers director Joss Whedon, but... What do you think, Joe? Is a Guardians of the Galaxy movie in good hands or not? I don't know. Uh, James Gunn, you know, he likes wacky projects, right? You know? Sure. Uh, Slither is nonsense. It wasn't You know, nonsense. he got to start working for Troma. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he directed Tromeo and Juliet. Okay, that is easily the worst did not get credited. It, uh, he, I bet he took his name off it on purpose. It was terrible. That uh, the Calling it the worst trauma film? Isn't there were that, fun like, ones, Calling man. it the best trauma film? No way. There were totally fun <laughs> ones. Uh, I don't know. I think that this is good. Class of Nukem High. That's a classic, man. I, I love the fact that every time somebody involved mentions Guardians of the Galaxy... They definitely bring up Rocket Raccoon, yeah, as though they want to assure us, yes. it's gonna be in there. He's gonna be well. He's gonna be Chewbacca. I love it. He's basically gonna be Marvel Space Chewbacca. Yeah, but he's I, a raccoon. I love it. I love it too. I think James Gunn is a fun writer, and I think he's got time out for those of you who don't know. Rocket Raccoon is a sentient raccoon. Well, he's not a raccoon. He's an alien. But he's an alien. He looks like a raccoon. Who looks like a raccoon? He speaks, he carries big guns, he whoops ass, he's one yeah, of my He's like favorite, a soldier of fortune. One of my favorite space characters, created by Mike Mignola, I believe. Correct. Yes. Uh, so I think James Gunn has the right mm, sensibility for Guardians of the Galaxy, and I I'm like excited. I like the choice a lot. I, I really like the choice, and I like that they keep reaching for directors like this. I liked Kenneth Branagh on what he did on Thor, but I hope they give these younger guys a chance and really do something fresh. Well, I like the idea that they're picking people that might not necessarily be associated with... Especially if Whedon's doing the picking. Yeah. That guy, he's got some cool friends. He knows all these people, and they're the next generation of badass Hollywood action directors. I think we're. I think it's a good sign. I think the next uh, wave of Marvel stuff is off to a good start. Absolutely. Finally, you could always count on Jughead for three things. Walking around with his eyes shut, his terrifying eating <laughs> disorder, and rocking that sweet crown... But now it seems that the company that brought us Kevin Keller and Archie Meets Kiss is preparing to remake Jughead for the new millennium, mm. only 13 years too late. <laughs> it started with Archie Comics quietly removing Jughead from their list of subscription titles, then reports surfaced of fans getting emails informing them of the title's cancellation, and finally, 
Bridget Alverson of CBR's Robot 6 blog went straight to the source for answers, and she received a response from Adam Tracy, Archie's director of publicity and marketing, that said, quote, As you're aware, Archie has been reinventing itself for the last three years. That reinvention process is most visible in books like Life with Archie, Kevin Keller, The Art of Betty and Veronica, which I don't know, I even know what that is, The New Crusaders comic, Sonic, and Archie's Super Specials, and much more. Because Jughead is a very important character to us, that reinvention process will also apply to him. So while we're putting together exactly how to do that, we've put the Jughead comic on hiatus until the relaunch happens. So did he just like magically vanish from the pages of Archie too? They're just like they just stopped. They just written out of continuity. They did- just put his comic on hold. Jughead's ongoing series has been running since 1949, making it one of the most enduring comics on the stands today. Matt, I know you are a huge Archie fan. What are you hoping to see from the new and improved Jughead? Uh, I could really give a shit to tell you the truth. I hate Jughead. I hate Archie. It is ballsy. I'll give him that. Archie has been super ballsy, like it's as true. of late, and like not afraid of anyone or anything or any. Criticism. I love it. Just pulling the trigger, man. I I think it's great. You know, I I don't care. I'm not going to read it, but I do think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and if I mean, Archie has been striving to tell relevant stories for a long time i think they're finally sort of successful with the kevin keller stuff yeah and i don't know what kind of relevance they can add to jughead (laughs) okay i don't think i don't want but what i don't want from jughead is some sort of like forced social commentary (laughs) you may be getting it buddy Uh, i don't know That's the big news this week. If you want to discuss these stories or any that we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page, where I've detailed my new and improved Jughead by retconning Kevin Keller out of the Archieverse and making Jughead a 500-pound bedridden closet homosexual who's been eating hamburger after hamburger for years, trying to fill the hole that is his secret lust for Archie. Yeah, he kills himself in the end, too. (laughs) Tries a knife into his heart. Like, just like Elliot Smith did. (laughs) Each week, the day before the show, my man Joe Patrick puts up the question of the week, the aptly named question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter. All you got to do is fan us or follow us on Twitter and you can play along. This week's question was, when is it time to stop reading a series? Do you stick with a series through thick and thin, or do you cut bait and remove it from your pull list at the first sign of a dip in quality? Joe Patrick, what are our listeners saying? By the way, more responses to this one than any question we've ever had. Give yourselves a round of applause, nerds. That's awesome. Thank you for your help. What are they saying, Joe? On our Facebook page, we have a post from Matthew Daneman who writes, Welcome aboard, Matthew. New guy, Welcome aboard. All right. The second or third consecutive crummy issue has become my jumping off point. Any series can have a hiccup now and then, but if the next month's issue and the month after that keep up or down the same level of mediocrity, it's time for the it's not you, it's me talk. Ooh. I like it. I like the breakup analogy. Our Dungeon Master Jared writes, The bottom line is that it's time to stop reading a series when it's no longer enjoyable. If a book doesn't entertain or thrill like it once did, the romance is over. That being said, I will stick with Conan. Even when I don't like the writing or the artwork, he'd be really mad I said Conan and not Conan. Conan! This is not the case with other series, though. I'll drop most other series in a heartbeat the minute the artist changes to one I don't like or if the writing doesn't do anything for me. I tend to give a new series at least three issues to hook me, but 
I strive to go at least with the full story arc before the axe falls, which is, you know, about five or six issues average. So three is the number that seems to be rising here. When I hear people talk about a series that they read that makes them angry or they don't like the writer or some such, yet they still get it every month, I shake me head at those fools. <laughs> Says the guy who buys Conan, no matter who's writing or drawing. Hey, listen, there are too many books out there to waste time on ones you don't dig. You dig? <laughs> That's from Jared. True dad, I guess. Another one from Facebook. From David Fairbanks. Welcome aboard, Dave. Creators get the benefit of the doubt, but characters can go to hell. Whoa. Character loyalty is what keeps DC and Marvel printing shitty JLA comic after shitty JLA comic. You know what? He's absolutely right. And keeps comics fans from reading amazing comics about characters they don't know about. And the time I give them varies based on how much I like the creator. I totally agree with him there. I think as you look at the raw volume of stuff coming out, 99% of it is crap. With like Wolverine stance on it, you know. We'll read some more responses later in the show. Great job, guys. It's review time, where each week Matt and I put mirrors on our shoes and peek up the skirts of two of this past Wednesday's new comics. Matt, how was the view this week? I saw London and I saw France. This week, I read Lobster Johnson, Caput Mortum, I think is how it's pronounced. One shot from Dark Horse, a one shot from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola and John Arcudi, with art by, isn't it, we decided it was Tanchi Zanjik. Tanchi Zanjik. And we got that directly from- From Tanchi Zanjik. No, we didn't get it from him. We got it from uh, the writer of Who is oh, Jake Ellis. Oh, uh, Nathan, Nathan Edmondson. Yeah. Told us that on Twitter. Good guy. Ed Monson. <laughs> so here's your solicit. Hellboy's favorite gun-blazing vigilante takes justice to the skies, this time by getting locked in spectral combat aboard a Zeppelin. Apparently, the guy that was writing solicits for Marvel without reading the comics first is now working for Dark Horse because Johnson isn't fighting ghosts here, but Nazis. <laughs> I'm not sure where the spectral combat comes in. Regardless, Lobster Johnson, for those of you who don't know, it's Mike Mignola's pre-World War II spy smasher and occult detective. I've been a huge fan of this character since his first appearance way back in 1999 in the pages of Hellboy, Box Full of Evil, number one. Johnson is a gun-toting detective with the ability to force evildoers into telling the truth by using this glowing lobster claw on his right hand, apparently, that leaves a claw-shaped burn on it's his victims. It's a brand. It's his brand. And we've never learned why. It's just mystery. That's his thing. He's this, like, man of mystery. And it's not important, like, why he does what he does, who he actually is. None of that is important. All that's important is he's really good at his job, he's a total badass, and he's not afraid of anything. Love it. The character reminds me of the shadow meets the spider and fits perfectly into this world, this pre-World War II detective noir occult world that Mignola and Arcudi have developed. The story opens in 1932, this very X-Files fringe type intro with two loudmouth Americans watching a newsreel about national socialists in Germany and a new German Zeppelin that was gifted to the U.S. as a part of war reparations. After watching a disappointing movie, the two meet a stumbling German in the street who melts into gore, <laughs> like, right in front of them. And it was really creepy the way that Zanjik drew it, like, did a fantastic job with it. From there, the story moves to the dining cabin of the Zeppelin, 
in the near future, the one that was mentioned in the newsreel, where we see its maiden voyage, is actually part of a Nazi plot for a biological attack on Manhattan. Luckily, our man Lobster Johnson is on the case and cracking ratsy skulls. Artist Tanchi Zanjik first caught my eye with his work on Who is Jake Ellis for Image. He has a very minimal and kinetic style, but he, he maintains a very classic feel to his storytelling. There's nothing weird about his paneling. He's just really good at what he does. He doesn't concentrate a lot on backgrounds. It's a lot of foreground action. And I guess that's where Dave Stewart's amazing coloring comes in. That isn't to say that... Really filling this one his out. His panels are sparse. No, they're not sparse at all. And what I was going to say next, his art has come so far from there. He's really developed his style. He has this sort of Francesco Francavia meets Michael Lark type style to him where it is minimalist and kind of scratchy, but so detailed in the movements, in emotion on the characters' faces, in separating characters from each other. Nobody looks alike. They're all very distinct. The Nazis look German and scary. Lobster Johnson looks dark. What do you mean they look German? Well, just think back to any like old World War II film. Whenever they show the Nazis, they're these stone-faced, chiseled chin, you know? That's like, racist. Scary people. That's just how it was cast. Talk to Hollywood, buddy. All right? <laughs> like I said, he very much reminds me of Frank Avia and Lark, who's been just killing it on Brubaker's Winter Soldier, if you want to see an example of his art. Pick that up. Stewart's colors are perfectly dark and moody here, especially on the cover, which is this image of Lobster Johnson in black with his glowing orange eyes superimposed over this blue and orange Manhattan cityscape. And throughout the book, you see Lobster Johnson sort of emerging from the darkness with his eyes glowing. And oh, it's just such a great effect. Mignola and Arcudi have become comics' premier horror writing team, and here they prove they don't need monsters and demons to tell a great story. This is a perfect one-shot to pick up if you've never read any Lobster Johnson stuff, and I would guess it'll send you straight to the comic shop to pick up collections of the two previous miniseries, The Burning Hand and The Iron Prometheus. I love this character. I love this one-shot. I love that Dark Horse can put out one-shots that don't make me feel like I'm wasting my money. Buy this. For sure. The whole series of minis and one-shots thing that Mignola does for his corner of, of for his Hellboy universe, it's wonderfully yeah. executed. And tight. Really tight. There's in feel and mythos. and Yeah, and he's never put out one that I felt was a waste. No. And anytime there's a Lobster Johnson, it's wonderful. And Tanchi Zanji's done the last couple. Yeah. Yeah, I'm giving it a huge bite as well. I love this book. If I have any complaint, and maybe not even complaint, one criticism would be the constant miniseries and the one-shot makes it very hard for people that aren't following this to know where to jump in. And I would say, just start numbering this stuff. Uh, well, Screw it. Just start numbering it. it that's happen. actually a good point. And that's what they're doing with BPRD. They na- In the inside front cover of every Mignola book, whether it's BPRD, Hellboy, or Lobster Johnson, there is a number yes. on the title page. This one's number 12 in a series, but just put it's it a one-shot so, because you know you can read it without anything else. Just put that on the cover. It would help everybody. I'll tell you who Tanchi Zanjik reminds me of. Paul Smith. Yeah. No, definitely. Paul Smith. Definitely. Uh, leave it to chance. Uncanny X-Men. Yes, definitely. Ah, love it. Buy it. Joe Patrick, what did you read this week? My pick of the week was Spider-Man number five from Marvel Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Sarah Pacelli. 
and colors by Justin Ponzo. You are on your own here, sir. I've not read this many. Figures. Here's your solicit bullet point style. The Marvel way. The shocking conclusion to the Spider-Man event of the year. How will the amazing Spider-Man get back to his own reality? What will both Spider-Man do now that they know they're not alone in the universe? Will Peter Parker give Miles Morales his blessing? It sounds like he's going to marry somebody. <laughs> he's like five. The 616 Peter Parker is trapped in the Ultimate Universe thanks to Mysterio, and it absolutely could have... Sorry. Why don't you explain what 616 is? Just real quick. There's listeners we just have to... Well, are we going to do this every single time? Yes. And if you're going to use terminology like that, yes. The Marvel, it, Alan Moore, long ago, came up with the idea that there's a multiverse and every multiverse has a number. And then he used it at DC and at Marvel. No, no, no. I mean, the multiverse, <laughs> the idea of the multiverse has been around forever. Right. Alan Moore is the one, if I recall correctly, Alan Moore is the one that said that the mainstream Marvel universe is <laughs> Earth 616. Not Earth 1, not Earth 2, yeah. 616. 616. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, there are an infinite number of worlds out there. Each one has a designate. The Ultimate Universe has a designate. It's weird. You'd have to look up it up, up in the handbook to find it. So the Spidey, as we know it, is Spider-Man so, yeah. If you hear somebody say the 616 blank, that means the main Marvel Doesn't get much nerdier version. than this. Folks. That's right. <laughs> so... The 616 Peter Parker is trapped in the Ultimate Universe thanks to Mysterio, and it absolutely could have ended there with Peter stuck and Mysterio triumphant, but Mysterio isn't satisfied with his victory and can't leave well enough alone. And what follows is like one of the most straight-up fun comics I've read in a long time. Like It opens with Mysterio standing on the... 616 side of the gateway it's shut and peter parker is trapped on the other side and he's like i did it i have ba- banished spider-man from the world it's not enough <laughs> and the second he turns it back on webs shoot through the portal and yank him in it was awesome uh this issue is basically one big fight scene which could have felt padded out and boring but bendis has such a knack for these characters dialogue that it makes the issue a real joy to read the book has a ton of great moments in it, like Mysterio's hilarious frustration. Tony Stark constantly drooling over Mysterio's just horrifying technology, and Nick Fury is constantly yelling at him to keep his hands off of it. You can't have it. You cannot have the dimensional portal. Which Nick Fury? Ultimate Nick Fury. You can't have the fear gas. Okay. <laughs> his hands off. Miles Morales runs around shouting the name of his powers as he uses them, like <laughs> Venom Blast, and he touches Mysterio. And that's such a 13-year-old boy thing to do. Yeah, I totally. love it. I love it. Sarah Pacelli's art is wonderful. She, I, I'm giving her like most improved status. Not that she was like terrible before, <laughs> but she has gotten so damn good. We're, we're giving her the You've Come a Long Way Baby Award. <laughs> I can't wait to see where she ends up. Uh, she, I want her to get a high-profile regular gig. Not that Spider-Man wasn't high-profile, but we all knew it's a mini. She's ready for something like... Something mainstream. Yeah. There's not a lot to say about Justin Ponzer's colors other than they work really well with the art. Uh, his work doesn't transform the look of the book like some colorists do. Dave Stewart, who's all over this damn show. There is a really fun scene at the end where Peter does his best to impart some wisdom to Miles before going home. <laughs> but all he can muster is stuff like, 
if you meet a guy named Dr. Octopus and he tries to marry my Aunt May, stop him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, things that have happened to him in his life. And uh, then there's a final page that delivers a really great twist that leaves the door open for future stories, uh, assuming Dan Slott doesn't have Dr. Octopus eat Peter in Amazing Spider-Man 700. I thought Doc Ock died. No, he's still kicking. Yeah. My one nitpick is that there's a lot that went unexplained in the series, specifically where did Mysterio get the technology to travel between dimensions? It's strongly implied, they might actually say it, I don't remember, that he did not invent it, but I don't remember Bendis wrapping up that thread. I don't think they ever revealed where he got it, so hopefully probably Dr. they're Doom. planning to... Probably Doom Tech, right? Well, okay, but... That's bad storytelling if we yeah. just go, no, well, no, it's probably I mean, maybe they touch on it. Maybe yeah. there's another story we yeah, investigate. Yeah, I'm hoping from. that the story gets revisited in the future. Otherwise, you know, it's a big plot. Probably Paste Pot Pete. Right, right. <laughs> I loved this series. This issue was a really satisfying conclusion. I'm giving the whole mini, one through five, a huge buy it. Pick up the issues, buy it in trade, get it digitally, whatever you got to do. It's great. Spider-Man, one of the best reads I've had in a while. So apparently, we are in a good mood this week. That is a double buy it for Lobster Johnson, Kaput Mortum, maybe, for saying that wrong. Call us out on it. And a single buy it for Spider-Man, because I didn't read the damn thing. And of course, we want to know what you quick-fisted mystery men and reality display spider-peeps thought of these comics. So hit us up and tell us just how poorly plotted and carelessly retconned our reviews were over at our Facebook page. Matt and I stopped by the local Fiat dealership to take a new 2012 Abarth, for whatever it's called, out for a test drive, but not before stopping by the Rock of Eternity and winning the speed of Mercury from the Wizard Shazam in a high-stakes game of Slapjack. Shazam. Now join us as we speed like silver gods in a tiny Italian clown car to Themyscira for some well-deserved R&R with the lovely Amazon ladies. After a long work week during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed! Go! Justice League, number zero from DC. This is a full Shazam story. Gary Frank is so awesome here. This is so much better than the regular Justice League title. But for some reason, the Wizard's an Aborigine. I, I mean, I don't get it. That's just the way it is, man. Don't be racist. I mean, whatever. He doesn't have to be a white guy, I suppose. Give me a Captain Marvel series now. Thank you, Jeff Johns, for this. And buy it. Catwoman, zero from DC. Oh, Anne Nascenti is the new writer, and you know how much we love your Green Arrow. Oh, boy. Hey, you know what was cool about Catwoman, Frank Miller Year One, Jeff, uh, Ed, Ed Brubaker, Darwin Cook? Forget it all. We're going to shoehorn in the Batman Returns origin where she gets thrown out of a window and licked back to life by cats. It's, uh, it's a true story. It happened. <laughs> I read it. It's the worst. The man is furious. Leave it. The Pound, number one from IDW. This one guest stars Proof, the Sasquatch government agent and star of the Image comic of the same name. But strangely, this isn't an Image comic. So I guess it's an intercompany crossover? No, Proof's creator-owned, bro. Whatever. The art is by the art by Mustafa was nice, but the story kind of drug along, and the dialogue tried a little too hard to be funny. The story is like they were dog catchers who caught a werewolf one night, and now they hunt monsters, I guess. Skim it. Well, <laughs> Star Trek, The Next Generation, Hive, number one from IDW, which I was going to review, but Joe Patrick did not share the comic with me. Hey, 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 hey. This one was written by Brandon Braga, who 
uh, was heavily involved in the next generation era of Star Trek, and I didn't realize how much I missed Star Trek The Next Generation until I read this comic. It's on Netflix right now. I've been watching them. I, uh, I just want more Picard stories I know. so bad. I know. This was fun. The art was okay, but it's like a weird time travel story where the Borg have taken over the Federation, and future Locutus has to go back to the past yeah, buddy. and get old Picard to stop it. Yes. It's, Awesome, buy it. Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 15 from Dynamite. Every once in a while, I scroll the comic book wall and pick up something that I never read, and I remembered why I'm not reading this comic. It is a full-on booby book. Deja Thoris is nude, and the artist cannot decide just how big her boobs are. Hey. But they get bigger and bigger and bigger. He also has problem deciding whether or not the kid that she saves from an insect is a boy or a girl, a 16-year-old or a 2-year-old, and like cities are drawn from such a poor perspective, they look like they're models that they're running up to. (laughs) This was terrible. Absolutely terrible. If you read this book, I want to know why and what you see in it. Contact me. Let me know. Leave it, leave it, leave it. Awful. Womanthology Space. Number one, IDW. This is a comic version of the very popular Womanthology hardcover or whatever book that uh, was kickstarted. No, 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 no. Oh, it's just more. It's just more, yeah. Okay. And they're all space-themed, and like any anthology, it, let's be honest, most of the stories are completely missable. Yeah. It had a couple of fun ones, but the rest was just like, get as much story as we can in five pages, and the result is not caring about any of it. Yeah, it's too short to like do anything. Yeah, if they were serialized so that like part two of all the stories was in number two, that might be better, but as it is... Eh, I don't care. I I'm didn't giving care it, either. I'm giving it a skim it. I'm giving it a strong leave it. Night, girls you, have no business you writing hate a strong comic. women. <laughs> Nightwing number zero from DC. This is the origin of Dick Grayson as Robin. It's co-written by Tom DeFalco, which made me groan a little bit when I saw the name on the cover. But it was really well executed. Very tight. Some bad dialogue that kind of forced the Robin thing a little too much. Is like a scene where he like attacks Lady Shiva, and he's like, "Ah, oh, boy wonder, huh?" He's like, "Boy wonder, I'm more of a Robin." <laughs> <I'm> like, what? <laughs> 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 you know? like he gives his mom a bracelet that has two Robins on it. She's like, "Oh, for my Robins, for my little Robin." I'm like, all right, I get it. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, but, you know, I was fine with Dick Grayson figuring out that Bruce Wayne was Batman. Some people whine that that was not part of his original origin, but it totally worked. I'm giving this a buy. A lot of fun. Ghost Zero from Dark Horse. Uh, this is another reprint book featuring the three short stories from Dark Horse Presents. They were really good. Leading into the new miniseries. I didn't read it because I don't read Dark Horse Presents. I do. And I liked it a lot. Phil Noto's on art. I know Phil Noto can be a little, like, stiff. At times, I, I thought it was good. I love Phil Noto. I love Phil Noto, How dare too. you? He's not really great as an action artist because, you know, his artwork's I, yeah, not yeah, yeah. very it fluid. Is, it is what it is. But I liked it. I liked the story. I liked the idea of these guys being, like, cheesy ghost hunters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. I'm on board. I want more of this. Good story. Great art. Buy it. New Mutants, 49 from Marvel. This is the conclusion of Fight the Future, which I would say could have just been a Fear the Future continuation. It felt really tacked on. It was, I mean, Fear, Fight the Future was a story about how Cypher turned in, like, merged with Warlock and turned into, like, a, this despotic lunatic with the techno-organic virus powering him, named True Friend, and the New Mutants have to stop him. And then they had to do it again in this storyline. And it just, I didn't care. And it was really bad art by Felix Ruiz. 
and then some guy named Klebs, Klebs. which sounds like a sexually transmitted disease. I got finishes, a bad case of the Klebs. Finishes the story, and it was just a really violent art change. This is a big letdown, and I'm sorry to see the series go this way because I love Abnett and Landing so much, and I love the New Mutants. I gotta give it a leave it. There's no cure for Klebs. Legion of Superheroes number zero from DC. I have not been reading Legion of Superheroes, even though I'm a huge fan of the concept. Is there anything to be reading? Really? Yeah. But I picked this up, and it's the kind of... It's not even the origin, really, of Brainiac 5. It, it's, a, it's kind of a... It's a really fun story about the Legion coming to Kolu to recruit Brainiac 5. There you go. And there's like a an outbreak of some terrible Brainiac technology, and the Legion has to stop it. And Brainiac 5 has a big secret. Sort of like what's going on in New Mutants. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> and it's just really fun, action-packed. Uh, and the art is by Scott Collins who I've not been a huge fan of as of late, but yeah. this looked like like the Jeff Johns Flash Scott Collins nice. that I love. I like, I like that one, too. And it was just a great book. I can't say that I'll be picking up Legion 13, but this issue I liked a lot. I'm giving it a buy it. Crackle! That is your ludicrous speed round, and crackle is the sound of the living lightning that imbues Billy Batson with the power of Captain Marvel, as seen in this week's issue of Justice League Zero. Hey, buddy, I hate to break it to you. Yeah, we can't call him Captain Marvel anymore. He's Shazam. He's just plain old Shazam. Yeah. Just Shazam. Enough of this screaming and speeding around. It's time to get a little iry in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. Is that a weed joke? Yes. And here comes more. Join Joe and I as we smoke the sacred heart-shaped herb of Wakanda out of a bong constructed from the head of a dismantled doombot. And then let the thick acrid smoke open our third eye to secrets of next week's comics. Joe Patrick, pass the doombot on the left-hand side (laughs) and tell us what you'll be reading next week. I thought we already smoked the heart shaper. Now we ate it. Okay. <laughs> so now it's now we're smoking. No, we're smoking it. Pass the doobot on the left hand side. My pick for next week is Happy Number One from Image Comics, written by Grant Morrison with art by Derek Robertson. I'll be honest, I don't have any idea what to expect from this comic. It will be weird as hell, <laughs> but is guaranteed. It's Grant Morrison untethered from. I, th- I would argue Grant Morrison has been untethered. <laughs> yeah, but for quite a while now he's not. You know, he's not even at Marvel or DC or even Vertigo. He's completely just out in the wind, and we might get. The filth, or we might get it's true, you know, Doom Patrol, or I don't the know. or the Invisibles, which is almost completely impenetrable, <laughs> but excellent. I'm ready to jump in with both feet and give it a go. And I do like Derek Robertson. So, Matt, what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Talon Zero by Scott Snyder and Guillaume March. I love this artist. I loved his work on Catwoman, and now that he is gone. And Anna Senti is writing it, and Judd Winnick is not. I have no earthly reason to pick it up. It's so f***ing bad. Ever again. This one spills directly out of the Night of the Owls crossover, where one Talon has gone rogue, and we don't know if he's a hero or a villain. All we know is it will be very well written, because Scott Snyder has a very firm grip on the Batman world, and Batman is one of the few successes in the DC relaunch. We should say that it's... 
It's actually co-written by Scott Snyder and that James Tynion. Oh, that's right. Who wrote the Batman Annual yes. with Mr. Freeze. Who's so. very good as well. Looking forward to and it. And Guillaume March is unstoppable. I love him. He's one of my new favorite artists at DC. The THN Trade for next week, Judge Dredd. Cry of the Werewolf, written by Alan Grant, with art by Steve Dillon from Rebellion 2000 AD. I've been trying to find out what people love about Judge Dredd by <laughs> picking up the collected Judge Dredd case files. It's based on a conversation I had with King of Askernerd Aaron Myers about the character a little while ago. And as you may know, there's a little movie in the theaters, which I will be seeing this weekend without my wife because she's out of town. It's a perfect chance for me to go see a movie she would never see. <laughs> As usual, we would love to hear what you nerds will be reading next week. So take some drugs and hit us up on our Facebook page, or tweet us at TwoHeadedNerd, or shoot us an email at TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. Just send us an email. And share your stony pics for next week. I am the law. Before we move along, Joe Patrick, why don't you read us some more tweets? And Facebook is, is there a name for that? Facebook posts? Facebook posts. Facebook posts. From our lovely and sexy listeners. We've got a couple of brand new contributors to the Facebook page. Thomas Facetious Crisp. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Tom. He says, with a new series, I give it up to five issues, maybe six or seven if the story arc hasn't ended. With things I've read since the dawn of forever, I'll stick with it. Though Amazing Spider-Man lost me in 2007 for four years. Yeah. Thank you, brand new day. Lost, lost a lot of people. But my love of Spidey brought me back. Fair enough. However, if three story arcs in a row are naff, off I pop. He's British. <laughs> what? What just happened? I have no idea. They speak English over there. They speak English, not American. Is this our second <laughs> English listener, too? We have many We've got English Chris, the listeners. British guy, and now we have Tom. We have many English listeners. Cool. Tom and Chris are just the two we've singled out to tease. We love you. And Chris is a karate master, so don't screw with that guy. <laughs> we've got another one here from Chris Duffy, PhD. A doctor. Who says, normally I stick with a series based on character, huh? because that's how I come across some of my new favorite writers, like Jeff Parker on Thunderbolts and Hulk. But after a while, there's only so much I can stand. For instance, I dropped off Deadpool during Daniel Way's second year. Yep. Because while his first year was awesome... Eh, no, it was pretty good. You could clearly see he didn't know what to do after his first 14 to 16 issues. Yeah, and he went straight Bugs Bunny with it. And our latest Facebook fan, Hansel Moreno, says, I'm a creator guy. I try to follow them, but if push comes to shove, I do drop titles after a dip in quality for two issues. Money badly spent doesn't make the series better. It's true. And I can always go back and get it digitally or through trade if it picks up. That's true. That's a super point. That's a really good point. Welcome aboard, Hansel. Good That's point. Right. <laughs> At this, I'm reading just for fun because uh, it's from Owen, one of our panel culture buddies, who we constantly like to point out is Canadian. Yes. So it's not his fault. It's not his fault. Just forgive him. He's Canadian. <laughs> Owen says, this is a meaty question to chew on. Luckily, I have some poutine here to enjoy while I ponder it. Do you know what poutine is? As my Degrassi Junior High DVDs are paused in the <laughs> background. I love that. Like, we make a little joke and then he just like slams his Canadian self. 
Uh, Do you know what poutine is? What is poutine? It's like a gravy with cheese curds on it that you put on your fries. It's delicious. I probably would love it. Oh, it's one of the best things to come out of Canada. He Some bullet points from his opinion. It's if actually French. I should mention that. Thank you. I know this. If I'm not enjoying a book, it gets dropped, period, regardless of character or creator loyalty. I only have so much money and so much time, and there are so, so many comics, which is absolutely true. Yes. A sign that I'm not enjoying a book is when I'm not looking forward to it, or if cracking it open feels like a chore. That's a yeah. really good or it's point. it's like, oh, I got yeah, it. Like, I have oh, to read this. I should read all this Red Hulk bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> now, there are some books that can feel like a chore, but by the time I'm finished, I have a big smile on my face. So if a book feels like a chore both before and after I finish, it's likely to be dropped. Fair enough. There are some books that have been a favorite, but I'm just not enjoying a particular story, which gets some leeway. Any books can have a bad issue or two. I have been wrong about books before. If I've dropped a book, but I'm hearing great things about it, I will always be more than happy to give it a second chance down the road, unless I really, really hated it. Time to unpause that Degrassi episode, or maybe I should grab a Molson and listen to some bare naked ladies. Very nicely done, Owen, sir. I love it. Uncomfortably Canadian. Wildly stereotypically Canadian. <laughs> Point my mouth laser at the microphone. Yeah, shoot your mouth laser into the microphone. That's how I have to explain things to cave baby Joe Patrick. Hey, shut up. I hope you refilled your Adderall prescription because it's time once again for our Take a Look It's in a Book segment where once a month we read a whole damn graphic novel it's true paperback to prove that we can digest more than 32 pages at a time and hey sometimes we take two months to read it but whatever uh, yeah especially you know, i've also noticed when joe patrick picks the trade paperbacks they're very thin that's because i pick I, monsters no i understand my limits sir. i pick like 600 page epics <laughs> this time we're gonna attempt to have a somewhat intelligent conversation about Anthony Bourdain and Joel Rose's Get Jiro from DC slash Vertigo. Here is your premise. In the near future, Los Angeles is ruled by two mafia-esque chefs. Rose, the vegan, local food, slow food, hippie fanatic. And Chef Bob, the stereotypical, classically French-trained chef for whom no ingredient is too expensive or too far out of his reach. The two of a small army of sous chefs and line cooks who carry out their turf wars based on opposed culinary philosophies, but one chef dares to stand up to them both. A traditional sashimi knife-wielding Japanese sushi chef named only Jiro, who I'm guessing is based on the character of the same name from the recent documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi, about one of the most talented sushi chefs in the entire world. Definitely worth watching, by the way. Anthony Bourdain has a lot of respect for the guy. I don't know if he ever cut people's heads off and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but the premise here is totally ridiculous and works instantly. This is the story of America's obsession with celebrity chefs and food culture taken to its ultimate and most ridiculous conclusion where two warring chefs basically control Los Angeles with gangs of chef underling muscle. They murder each other in these gang wars and stuff, and police just look the other way because their pot is so perfect. <laughs> you know, or like their knife skills, or like when they look and see like someone gets their arm chopped off, and like, wow, look at the knife skills there. He carved right around the bone and everything, instead of being like, oh my God, he just cut that guy's arm off, you know? <laughs> Coming from culinary school, I can tell you this is how these chefs talk when they see people who are really good, when they witness someone with incredible knife skills or someone like putting a dish together. They talk like this. It's this asinine, like complete 
deconstruction of every technique that they were using at the time. And Bourdain just crams this book full of it. And it's so well done. And it's a really fun look at what he hates about food culture. He hates celebrity chefs and stuff like that because most of them don't have any idea what they're doing. They're like weathermen. They don't actually do the science to tell you what the weather's going to do. They just report what the scientists are telling you the weather's going to do, which is, I'm not going to name any names. And then you guys have, you have guys like Anthony Bourdain, who grew up in the restaurant business and did the hard work. Giro becomes Bourdain's weapon to slice through the food entertainment industry and idealized chef celebrity status that's been thrown at these stars of Hell's Kitchen and all this other crap on the Food Network that he obviously can't stand. This book is packed, packed full of terminology that Joe Patrick was completely lost on the guy. Oh man, like Like, I read that, I read this thing and I was like, what is happening? They're addressing like the proper way to eat sushi and stuff. And like you see a scene where three guys come in to have sushi at Jiro's place. And the first thing they do is put a bunch of wasabi in their uh, soy sauce and stir it up, which is like a very American thing to do and a no-no if you're eating sushi. Totally stupid. And then they dip their rice into the soy sauce instead of flipping it over and just tapping the fish into it and applying a little wasabi to it if you want some and eating it. And Jiro loses his mind and just takes a guy's head off right there. (laughs) And it rolls out of his restaurant into the street. And the head is smiling because the bite that it had was so wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. I don't eat sushi, but I would be that guy. I I would get my head chopped off. sushi. And I'm super snobby about it. And I eat it the right way, damn it. And, but they explain, like they go through the right way to eat it. To gently dip the fish into the soy sauce. Fish first, not rice first. And then apply a little wasabi and then eat. That is the traditional way to eat sushi. And Jiro is as traditional as it gets. These other two chefs, Rose, who is this far-out hippy-dippy type who walks around barefoot and worships, you know, like locally raised mushrooms and, like, wants to charge huge amounts of money for peaches that came directly from a farm and believes she's saving the world, you know, is diametrically opposed to Chef Bob and his exotic sourced ingredients and molecular gastronomy. Who is basically like a, uh, what's his name on Fox, Hell's Kitchen? Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, like Gordon Ramsay without all the screaming if he was a sociopath, <laughs> basically. And it, it's so fun. This is such a biting critique of food culture in America and how we look at it now and how these people have been, like Guy Fieri, who is just a moron, has been lifted to celebrity status. Whatever, I love Guy Fieri. Because of the food network. Yeah, you wear your sunglasses on the back of your head Listen, at night. I don't know if he's a good cook, but his show is fun to watch. I should go into the fact that Langdon Foss's art here is beautiful, just perfect, like Jeff Darrow-esque in packing every panel yeah, full of as much as possible. Very detailed, very, very, very detailed. He has kind of a cartoony style to him, though, that reminds me a bit of Steve Ralston, the way Steve Ralston draws his human characters, not necessarily the way that he packs his panels. That's very much more Jeff Darrow. This is violent. This is Fun. This is super violent. Well informed. Which is also Jeff Darrow-esque. <laughs> right. Very well informed. There's a recipe for French blood sausage in here, which is boudin noir, which is absolutely delicious. If you ever get a chance to make um, 
or eat some, not necessarily make it. I can't even make it, and I work at a charcuterie shop. Jiro visits like a, a secret restaurant where a French friend of his is whipping it up, and you see every step of it. He's chopping it up. He's talking about the broth and how he gets it so clear and like what type of blood he uses for the sausage. This is really well-informed, fun food fiction, which I wouldn't have thought was possible. If you like Chew, you would love this book. <laughs> There's nothing about Chew that has anything whatsoever to do with culinary not, science. Not on this level, but it is very much food-driven. You know, um, I, mean, I would even argue that. But I, speaking as somebody who's not steeped in food culture, uh, I loved it. I thought it was very entertaining. And even though I didn't understand a lot of the stuff, I was never lost because I, like, I comprehended it. I just, you know, I knew that I would never be able to tell really good knife work from hack work or Fair enough. whatever. Uh, so I enjoyed it on a different level, I think, from somebody that would be much more knowledgeable in the culinary sense. But even if you're not, I recommend it because it's beautifully drawn, very well written. Anthony Bourdain, which is like a huge, like I don't know how more people don't know it, loves comics. Yeah, he's a nerd. Anthony Bourdain is a huge dork. And he plays himself so cool on TV. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, and I didn't know what to expect because, you know, most of the time these books that are, like, written by celebrity whatever, yeah, you're just like, oh, boy. Yeah, Jada Pinkett Smith brings you... Menace. <laughs> was that her book? Menace, yes. Menace. And it, this was really great. And I don't know how much of it was uh, Joel Rose's influence as co-writer, but I think that they are partners in it, not... You know, Joel Rose takes the lead and Anthony Bourdain gets all the credit. I think Anthony Bourdain deserves a, a lot of props for this, and I'd like to see him write more comics. Yeah, I would too. I'd love to read more of this. I would love to read it's more. It's a really interesting world. More Adventures of Jiro. I was expecting to be confused and lost, and I wasn't. No, it was a lot of fun. I'm giving this a gigantic buy it. It was yep. a lot of fun. And Dave Stewart and Jose Villarubia did the colors. Dave Stewart is everywhere in this oh, podcast. But and again, yeah, bright, fun, animated type colors. Very vibrant. It's a quick read. It's fun to read. Go out and buy this. Yep, buy it from me as well. Next month, for Take a Look, it's in a book. We'll get spooky for Halloween, and we're going to read Scott Snyder's Collected Severed from Image. Ooh. Yes. So join us and read along if you dare. Sort of of, break it it down like this. That's it for another completely unprepared edition of THN. Uh, We're laughing because my little brother just texted me. I'm going to watch a football game in his house celebrating his birthday, and he said, Bring your gear. We're LARPing at halftime. <laughs> if this kind of infighting and blame-throwing tickles your nerd pickles, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or the Dumb Zoom Network, where we swear we'll figure out where the hell our past episodes went this week. And please, take some time and leave us a star rating and, or a short review, because it makes us feel like real heroes. A star rating and a short review. And next week is a fifth week, so it's time for another THN fifth week event. Where this time we're getting in the Halloween spirit by counting down our favorite top five comic book monsters. And for the record, they can be good guys or bad guys. It just has to be a monster. Of course. Our crack team of calendar scientists have confirmed that it is in fact the fifth week. Huge thanks to all our donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in sushi grade Toro and fresh horseradish for grading, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved 2 nerd.com. Where THN love slaves Keith Silva 
and Aaron Myers introduced their new semi-regular point and counterpoint blog, Nerd Fight. I love it. And there's another exciting edition of Girl Meets Nerd detailing Matt's wife's Casey's everyday struggle to survive life with one of the biggest nerds that's ever nerded. It's true. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email to editnerd at gmail.com where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic that you would like us to review. Send us stuff. Send us stuff. Send us stuff. It doesn't matter if you're embarrassed of it or you're scared. We would never tear anything apart that you did. We just love receiving comics. I don't know if we can promise that we won't tear it apart. If it sucks, we will. I mean, sure. but (laughs) And remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. Matt, when do you decide to stop reading a series? I think the biggest key for me is creator changes. Because, I mean, there's a lot of these creators that I love that I know are going to do at least a pretty good job on whatever they're writing. And when I completely love something, uh, for example, Matt Fraction's Iron Fist, I was so engrossed in it and totally loved it. And when I heard Dwayne Swierzynski was taking it over, I went, all right, Dwayne, you have exactly two issues to wow me. And he blew me out of the water. So I stayed on it. It was great. A series that didn't work out so well. Catwoman and the DC relaunch were going from Judd Winnick and Guillaume March, who were just killing it. It was a great book, like vastly overlooked, fun DC relaunch book. And now, Anacenti is taking it over. And I don't care if God comes down and draws it, it's going to be awful. And this Zero issue was a perfect example of how awful it's going to be. So there, she gets zero chances. I'm sorry, but there's times where you just know time to quit. Joe Patrick, what's your metric for this? Well, back when I was a monthly collector, I was more of a follower of characters. Like, I would follow... I did a little bit of both, to be honest. My pull list was ridiculous and i'll buy anything that sasquatch is in yeah you know and so there were certain characters where like i loved superman i love the flash i love the new warriors you're you're not you're answering the question by not answering the question never when do you quit never you never quit (laughs) you just stop (laughs) more i don't care if it hurts more your honor can you please direct the witness to answer the question how many issues did it take i have no idea but when I got so far behind and I realized I didn't care, that's when I stopped. Okay. No, and I agree with that statement too. There's series that like I I still pick up and then I look and I go, how come I have eight of these? How come there's no immediacy for me to read these? Right. Maybe I don't need to read this book anymore. Right. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Kevin Coffey, who's doing a bio piece on me for the local fish wrap, the Omaha World Herald, that I would not have done unless my wife forced me to call him. I had no interest in this. Word to you, Kevin, and thank you for allowing me to edit DJ's comments from his interview for the piece to make me look a little better. Until next time. I was not kind. True believers, this is the Two Headed Nerd. Signing off. Forever. I'm kidding. We'll be back next week. You done me wrong, so I'm moving on.